I cannot remember a time in my life when I was not interested in the wide world of sports. My younger years, ABC delivered it right into our TV room at 511 Wellington Street, Detroit, Ontario, every Saturday afternoon. Some of you may remember the opening theme announcement went something like this. Spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport. The thrill of victory. The agony of defeat. The human drama of athletic competition. This is ABC's wide world of sports. Boy, that just gives me warm feelings all over. <laughs> the stirring, brassy music, the various clips that showed up on the screen of photographs of thrilling victories and agonizing defeats, have combined to leave an indelible mark on my life. In fact, as I think about it, that phrase in, in my mind represents a good summary of life. Life in a less than perfect world, full of less than perfect people, we're surrounded by less than perfect circumstances. It's a world full of thrilling victories and agonizing defeats. And we've all tasted those thrilling victories, good grades, making the team, graduation, engagements, weddings, births. Life offers a variety of wins that deliver emotional highs. But we've also tasted the agonies of defeat, failures, rejection letters, health challenges, job losses, financial pressures, relational breakdowns, the death of people that we love. We've all experienced those rocky mountain highs and those Grand Canyon lows. Which begs the question, how do you handle that kind of emotional roller coaster? Some try to self-medicate. Others seek a counselor professional and or otherwise. Some choose to deny, deny, deny. Others are always trying to play it safe, avoid any kind of risk. And then there are some that choose to coast. Whatever feels right at the time. But regardless of how we choose to respond, to our life circumstances, we are emotional beings destined to ride emotional roller coasters. And for sure, not all roller coasters are created equal. Some, depending on the personalities involved and or the specific circumstances, will have higher highs and lower lows. And some will descend slowly, gradually, or rise slower, steady. 
but all of us are emotional beings who ride emotional roller coasters. Life offers an emotional roller coaster. And Jesus and his disciples were no exceptions to that rule. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I'd invite you to turn with me to John chapter 16. And if you're able, I'd invite you to stand with me for the reading from God's word this morning. I'll begin reading at verse 16 of John chapter 16 and read through to the end of verse 22. Beginning then at verse 16 of John chapter 16. A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples then said to one another, What is this thing he is telling us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. So they were saying, what is this that he says, a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew they wished to question him, and he said to them, Are you deliberating together about this, that I said, A little while, and you will see me not? You will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain, because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that the child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, again, we pause to acknowledge your presence and invite your involvement in our study of this particular text. This is your word. And in the words of the psalmist, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. The reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. Father, teach us, we pray. Use this episode in the life and ministry of Jesus to renew our minds so that we may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. By your power and for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Life offers an emotional roller coaster. 
Here in John chapter 16, Jesus is continuing to prepare his disciples for his imminent departure. Preparation actually began back in John chapter, six, John chapter 13, three whole chapters ago. Jesus and the eleven were sequestered in an upper room in the city of Jerusalem. They are still there. It is late on Thursday night. The night on which he would be betrayed by Judas Iscariot, handed over to his enemies. Abandoned by his most intimate followers. Tried, tortured, and crucified. Interesting, we have discovered that Jesus, throughout these last chapters, from chapter 13, 14, 15, and now 16, is found preoccupied with preparing his disciples for his imminent departure, and not about himself. Those efforts are continuing here in John chapter 16, verses 16 to 22, in the form of predictions and promises. Jesus' predictions and promises prepared his disciples for an emotional roller coaster. And Jesus' predictions provided a warning. A warning that his disciples were about to enter an emotional roller coaster ride that was unavoidable. Look at verse 16. A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. What does that mean? Clearly, Jesus is departing. This was indeed a consistent message that began back in John chapter 13, the very first verse. Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of the world to the Father. Then verse 3 of the same chapter, Jesus, knowing that his Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. And not only did Jesus know, <coughs> excuse me, but he also shared with the eleven that he was departing. Verse 33 of the same chapter, little children, I'm with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as, uh, as I said to the Jews, now I also say to, to you, where, I'm, where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus' earthly life and ministry were quickly coming to an end. A little while. It wasn't minutes, but it was just a few short hours. A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. Notice it's a will will no longer see me, will see me. These are bold predictions. It's not like our common expression, okay, I'll see you later. There's no commitment. It's a comment that's flippant, and it has no sense of 
expectation or obligation. If we run into each other somewhere down the road, fine. If we don't, that's fine too. That's not what is being said here in verse 16. Have I got a problem? Oh, we do. I'll just let you carry on. Verse 16, Jesus is saying that his departure is imminent. It's going to happen. And it's also, if it does happen, it means that his return will happen in the same way. This reminds me of that earlier disclosure back in John chapter 13, where Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So if he goes, if Jesus goes, they can be sure that he is going to return. And when can we expect him? A little while. Well, that short phrase, a little while, is used five times, you'll notice, in just three verses. In part because of the confusion that it has caused amongst his disciples. So they were saying, verse 18, and the verb that's used there, the tense of that verb, mean that they kept on asking. So they kept on asking each other, what is this that he says a little while? Notice, we do not know what he is talking about. And apparently, this confusion continues to this very day. Because Bible scholars offer three different explanations of what Jesus meant when he said, a little while. First of all, he was referring to the coming of the Holy Spirit. Remember in Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came on the believers as they gathered in an upper room. In fact, in John chapter 14, we read that he was with you, but now he will be, but later he will be in you, predicting what took place in Acts chapter 2. Secondly, he could have been referring to his second advent. And that's the verses we just read from John chapter 14, where Jesus returns to earth to set up his earthly kingdom. And thirdly, it could be that he was referring to the time immediately following his resurrection and prior to his ascension in Acts chapter 1. In light of this context that we're in, in the upper room discourse where Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure, it seems to me that the last interpretation is the most plausible. Jesus was attempting to prepare his disciples, who you'll remember from John chapter 14, had troubled hearts. They were worried, they were concerned when they learned of his imminent departure, or at least kept hearing Jesus refer to it. A little while and you will no longer see me. He would be dead and buried before sunset of this very day. And yet, a little while, and you will see me. Just two and a half days later, on an early Sunday morning, as Mary Magdalene made her way to the tomb where Jesus had been buried, she found it empty. He had risen from the dead. 
But in the short term, this caused his disciples some confusion, frustration. They had no idea what he was talking about or what he was meaning. But as the events began to unfold over the next few hours, these disciples would never be able to turn around and say, you didn't warn me. They had been warned. Jesus offered a warning that prepared them for a dramatic up and down emotional encounter, something that they had never experienced in their life before. And that was not Jesus' only prediction. Look at verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you. Oh, that's a key phrase. Remember that from our previous studies? When Jesus says, truly, truly, this is a sobering announcement. Pay attention. This will be on the final exam. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. So the world is not going to share the disciples' emotional response. In fact, they will be gathered at the far end of the emotional spectrum. And indeed, they did. They rejoiced at the death of Jesus. Jesus warned his disciples that they were about to encounter an emotional roller coaster, and it would be a ride that would set them apart from the world. Beloved, we ought not to be surprised when the world does not share our emotional ups and downs or our passions. Neither should we look to the world for support and comfort or remedies or, or coping mechanisms for our emotional challenges in this life of less than perfect circumstances, full of less than perfect people, including the person in the mirror who ought to be our primary concern, surrounded by less than perfect circumstances. Nor should we try to, to blend in with the world's emotional responses or, or passions. We are emotional beings. Suppression or denial is not the answer. Jesus' predictions warned his disciples of an unavoidable emotional roller coaster that they were about to encounter. Our emotional responses are unavoidable, temporary, subjective, and as a result, unreliable responses to the circumstances of our lives. And yet, they can exercise tremendous influence over the choices that we make if we allow them to. And Jesus knew that. His predictions provided a warning and his promises provided support. By support, I mean that it provides stability. Something like maybe 
Alan's cane as he awaits that much needed hip replacement surgery. Or maybe like the hand railing on the stair wells that take us down into the lower level of the base, lower level of the church. Or maybe like grab bars and washrooms, or, or maybe like door handles in the car, especially when I'm driving, right, Sin? And she thought I didn't notice. Jesus promises to provide similar support for his disciples. The emotional co- roller coaster was about to, to plunge them to new depths before they would rise to, to new heights. Now, roller coasters, at least the ones that I've been on, usually have grab bars that we can hang on to for dear life. And, and I know some people like to let go and, and scream as, as if their life was about to end. I, they just love the adrenaline rush, I guess. But this morning, we're talking about an emotional roller coaster ride. Notice Jesus' first promise expressed in in verse 20 of John chapter 16. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. New Living Translation reads, you will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn into wonderful joy. And folks, that's a promise. Their grief would be turned to joy in the same way that a woman's pain turns to joy when she gets to hold her newborn babe. It's interesting to note that in the original language, the disciples' grief in verse 20 and the labor pain in verse 21 is the exact same Greek word. In verse 21, Jesus explains how emotional pain or grief, can be turned into joy. Notice he's not suggesting that the grief is somehow reduced or eliminated. Rather, he was promising that upon his return, their joy will overtake the pain of his departure. In the end, they will no longer even remember their anguish. As they stood there, looking at Jesus, hanging on the cross, taking his last breath. Does it reduce reduce the pain of his departure? Not at all. But the joy overwhelms the pain to the point that when he returns, Jesus' disciples would no longer remember the pain. Look at verse 22. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. And no one will take your joy away from you. Beloved, Jesus' return would be a game changer. And their joy would endure forever and ever. Amen. No one will take your joy away. Jesus promised 
a joy that would overwhelm their weeping, lamenting, and their grief. That joy would endure forever, despite the circumstances of their life, in a world that would hate them, persecute them, unsynagogue them, in fact, kill them in service to God. The psalmist writes, You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. That is what Jesus is talking about. But life offers an emotional roller coaster. And God created us emotional beings. We are created in the image of an emotional God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, reveals God's original design. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. The Bible describes God as having many emotions, including love, hate, compassion, joy, and the list can go on and on. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, for example, speaks of the wrath of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It's for this reason that I encourage us to fear God. Because God is capable of giving us exactly what we deserve. Fear him. The wrath of God. Then, of course, we have the love of God. The good news. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The psalmist identifies another emotional response of God. Psalm 5, verse 5. Therefore the proud may not stand in your presence, for you hate all who do evil. Psalm 11, verse 5 affirms the same. The Lord examines both the righteous and the wicked. He hates those who love violence. One more. That has to be one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. Genesis chapter 6, verse 6. Reveals God's assessment just prior to sending the flood, which would wipe the sake wipe the slate clean, is prepared to begin over again, except for, for Noah and his immediate family. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth, and he was grieved in his heart. New Living Translation translates it, it broke his heart. The scriptures are a self-revelation of God. And he discloses himself as an emotional being in whose image we are created. Then, of course, there's Jesus. God dressed in human flesh. The most complete revelation of God. He, too, displayed similar emotions. At the tomb... 
where his friend Lazarus was buried. We are told that he wept. John chapter 11, verse 35. Shortest verse in the Bible. When approached by a leper in Mark chapter 1, verse 41, one of my favorite verses, he was moved with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand, broke all kinds of social barriers, and touched the man and said to him, I'm willing, be healed. When his well-meaning disciples tried to shield him, from parents who were bringing young children to him so that he could bless them? Jesus responded. It says, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant, which means about as angry as you can get without sinning. He was indignant and said to them, permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Jesus wept. He was moved with compassion. And he was indignant. Just three examples of Jesus displaying emotions that we can relate to. And this is a really selective sampling. But remember, according to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, he is the exact representation of God's nature. In the words of the New Living Translation, he expresses the very character of God. There is a difference, however. Our emotional reactions are often inaccurate reflections of God's emotional expressions. God's emotional expressions are perfect. Ours Oh, they're tainted by sin. Our motives are therefore, you know, questionable at times. And sometimes they are inappropriate or even hurt others and even ourselves. Oftentimes our emotional responses are self-promoting or self-preserving. But nonetheless, emotions in and of themselves are just another example of a good and perfect gift coming down from our Father of Lights. We are emotional beings created in the image of an emotional God. And life offers an emotional roller coaster. And so, buckle up and hang on. Buckle up and hang on to the permanent joy that comes with the inescapable presence of Jesus Christ. How? How can we do that? Establish and maintain a personal relationship with him and his people. Let me read just a a few verses. I'll rapid-fire these and then make a kind of a summary comment. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 3, and you have them there in the the bulletin handout. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Wow, 
For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Romans chapter 5, verse 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust him. Beloved, that's why the Apostle John sat down and wrote another gospel account of the life and ministry of Jesus. Look back at Look ahead at Romans or John chapter 20 and verse 31. We've referred to it time and time again. This is the reason why the Apostle John wrote this gospel account. But these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ delivers a joy that is permanent in our lives. Remember in John chapter 14, he talks about speaking to his disciples. He said, the Holy Spirit is with you, but in the future, he will be in you. Speaking of the day of Pentecost. And we too have that spirit living in us as we acknowledge our sin and trust Jesus Christ paid the price for that sin. That there's nothing we can do, but he did it for us. And as we place our trust in his accomplishment and ask God to forgive us our sins, he comes and resides within us and brings with him a joy that is permanent. But John also write, wrote for those who are trusting Christ alone for their salvation and are part already of the body of Christ, the church. John wrote to build their confidence in Christ so that they would individually and collectively know him and the power of his res resurrection and become effective ambassadors for him his representatives in a world that desperately needs to hear from God. Lights shining in the darkness. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 reads, let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, establish and maintain a relationship with God and with his church. That's how you hang on to the joy. Now listen to Romans chapter 15, verse 13, the second half of the verse. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust him. And now the second part. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of of the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to the second implication. 
reap the benefit of a joy-filled life. Nehemiah, in a day when Israel had returned to the nation of Israel, to, to the temple area, to Jerusalem, they discovered a copy of the, the scriptures. And he stood in front of the people after their Babylonian captivity and read all day from the law. As a result, the people wept and repented. At the end of their time together, Nehemiah said, Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit that indwells believers brings joy. And that joy is a permanent part of the life of every believer. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 5, brings us to our third implication that I'd like to leave with you this morning. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. The one who came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Third implication is to serve. Serve Jesus, others, you, in that order. And that will allow you to hang on for dear life, for that permanent joy that Jesus provides. Life offers an emotional roller coaster. This past week, in my study, I came across the following in my reading. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson were out camping. Holmes woke up Watson in the middle of the night and pointed up at the stars. Watson blinked the sleep out of his eyes as Holmes asked him what he deduced. Watson said, well, astronomically, I deduce, I deduce that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I deduce that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce the time is approximately a quarter past three a.m. Meteorologically, I deduce that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What about you, Holmes? What do you deduce? Watson said Holmes slowly. I deduce that somebody stole in our tent. <laughs> Joy is both very complex and very simple. The author goes on to write. We sometimes tend to think that being happy is being trite. And the more miserable we are, the more profound we must be. Nothing could be further from the truth. 
God's ultimate destiny for us who will believe is not miserable profundity, but joyful severity. A thrill that reverberates with the truth that God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4. For those who will put their trust in God, that is their destiny. And it is one filled, filled with joy. And the good news is, we don't have to wait to heaven to experience permanent joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to hear from your word. Life offers an emotional roller coaster. Jesus offers a permanent joy. To watch and listen to Jesus as he prepared for his death by preparing others. May what we have read and seen with our mind's eye become lingering thoughts and find a home in our hearts in the week ahead. May your spirit, who indwells every genuine believer, use these words to continue your transformative work in our lives, collectively and individually. May the joy of the Lord be our strength today, tomorrow, and until that day when we arrive in our eternal home, where you will wipe away every tear from our eye, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things, gone forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.